Claudia selected where they would hide during that dangerous time immediately after the museum was closed to the public and before all the guards and helpers left. She decided that she would go to the ladies' room and Jamie would go to the men's room just before the museum closed. Go to the one near the restaurant on the main floor, she told Jamie. I'm not spending a night in a men's room. All that tile, it's cold. And besides, men's rooms make noises sound louder, and I rattle enough now. Claudia explained to Jamie that he was to enter a booth in the men's room, and then stand on it, she continued. Stand on it? Stand on what? Jamie demanded. You know, Claudia insisted. Stand on it. You mean stand on the toilet? Jamie needed everything spelled out. <laughs> That was an excerpt of From the Mixed Up Files of Mrs. Basil E. Frankweiler by E.L. Koningsberg, and this is Books That Raised Us. I'm Alana Shapiro, an educator and mom whose best friends were books for most of my childhood. And I'm Esty Shapiro, a semi-adrift grad student still living in my mom's basement. And this one was my pick, and I'm so excited to talk about this book. Uh, which I reread for the podcast, but you didn't. So to start, maybe what do you remember about it? Um, so I remember that the book is about a girl who wants to run away from home, and she talks her brother into running away with her, and they run away to the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York, and they live there. And I do actually remember the part about them hiding in the bathroom. <laughs> um, so I remember that. I remember there's some sort of art mystery going on that they're trying to solve. Um, and I remember that there's some part of it where they go try and get this old woman maybe Basil E. Frankweller, to help them solve the mystery or something. But they have to leave the museum to go to her house to Ex get her help. Excellent memory. Um, yeah, so this is, I mean, in short, this is the story of Claudia Kincaid and her little brother Jamie, who run away from home and spend a week living at the Met. Um, one of the things that struck me about this book rereading it is that the whole book takes place over like just over a week in time. And so it's, it's actually just this really sort of brief moment and blip in their lives. Um, but they, you know, they go to the city and they live in this beautiful, glamorous museum and they find adventure and they, um, they do sort of get wrapped up in, in a big art mystery. They do meet um, Mrs. Basil E. Frankweiler eventually. Um, and they, you know, they go home different. Um, and so I, I guess I want to talk about this sort of in three parts. So first there's like, um, the whole concept of running away or like their motives in the book. Um, and then I want to talk about just life in the museum. And then, um, at the end we'll, we'll a little bit get into the mystery and sort of where, um, Mrs. Basilie Frankweiler comes in. Um, but I think one, one thing, um, 
that struck me on rereading is is the way Claudia sort of talks about her motives or like why they're going um, on this adventure in the first place. Um, and she's really clear that she's not so much running away from home as she is running to somewhere, right? Claudia is this, you know, this really sort of like cosmopolitan kid. She she talks about, she says that she loves the city because it's elegant and that it feels important and busy um, and that that's why it, it makes a good place to hide, right? Um, and she, yeah, really, she's just like feeling underappreciated at home. Um, you know, she's got three little brothers and, and maybe it's gender roles or age or whatever, but she just feels like she's doing more, she's pulling more than her weight and really just not being appreciated mm. at home. And she's a little like sort of, you know, too big for her britches. Like she, <laughs> she feels a little like out of place, underappreciated, um, in like small town Connecticut. And so she's like really looking for adventure. So it's surprising to me then that she takes her little brother with. Yeah, well, so she explains that she really takes Jamie with um, pretty much for one reason, and it's because he is rich for a little kid. Oh. He's He saves his money. He, like, uh, plays cards with his best friend at school for money, and so he's got, all like, a big, full piggy bank. Wow. And she's much more of a spender. She spends her money on ice cream sundaes and other things that she likes and so she she really takes Jamie with because he's got some cash um and and that becomes his his role or his job on this adventure is he's sort of like their treasurer um and he manages the money yeah but they're I mean their dynamic is funny you know they're they're siblings they bicker a ton is actually I find it kind of endearing I think it would drive you nuts but um (laughs) Kind of like you and your brother. <laughs> yeah, that that sort of that's how they communicate throughout the book is um, through bickering. Um, but they do, they sort of form an eventual like alliance, um, and I think this adventure sort of brings them together. I I want to just read a quick excerpt uh, from the book. This is like sort of right after they get to the museum. Um, and they find this awesome place to sleep and they're really like settling in and, and Jamie is starting to warm up to the idea of living in the Met. Um, and the book says, Jamie couldn't control his smile. He said, you know, Claude, for a sister and a fuss budget, you're not too bad. Claudia replied, you know, Jamie, for a brother and a cheapskate, you're not too bad. <laughs> Something happened at precisely that moment. Both Claudia and Jamie tried to explain to me about it, but they couldn't quite. I know what happened, though I never told them. Having words and explanations for everything is too modern. I especially wouldn't tell Claudia. She has too many explanations already. What happened was, they became a team. A family of two. Um, Oh, that's so (laughs) sweet! Yeah, so there, there is sort of a sense, you know, they, they bicker, they annoy each other, but, um... But they do really develop a sort of teamwork attitude about about like this adventure and, and running away that I think brings them closer over the book. Nice. And so who's narrating in that passage that you... Oh, so that's a good point. So the whole book is narrated by Mrs. Basil E. Frankweiler, even oh. though she doesn't come in till the very end. It sort of doesn't make sense. <laughs> you know, it, it feels really like a third person narration um until until the very end when you meet this character and and then you sort of understand why she's narrating um but before that I I just want to talk about like 
them living at the museum <laughs> um, and sort of what that looks like. So they're there for just about a week. Um, and they, do you remember anything else about sort of what that looks like to them? I remember, I remember they take a bath in a fountain. <laughs> <laughs> um, they do. And I, you know, I assume they look at art and stuff all day, but that, that part's way more fuzzy. Yeah. So they do, they do take a bath in a fountain. Um, it's the fountain in the restaurant at the Met. Oh. Um, and there's actually, there's this really, really great illustration in the book. Um, the fountain, you know, is full of like sculptures of cherubs and dolphins and other like small animals. Um, and the illustration is so funny because, you know, Claudia and Jamie are like these two small children and they are naked in the fountain and you sort of can't tell the difference between like the cherubs and the actual <laughs> children in the illustration, um, which is sweet. But, but what's especially like memorable or great about the bath. So at first, Jamie sort of thinks Claudia is being fussy, that she's still imposing, like, a schedule and hygiene mm. and rules, <laughs> like, at home. Um, but once they get into the fountain, they notice they feel something cold and hard and round under their feet. Um, oh. <laughs> and they realize that they're coins that people, you know, have thrown into the fountain making a wish. Um, and so they they fill up their pockets, like, as Full as they can with these wet coins and then that's like how they pay for lunch the next day and oh, how they wow. go do their laundry and so um then whenever they're like running low on cash in the museum they just go take a bath they just go steal coins <laughs> that's terrible it's so funny <laughs> um and they there's another part sort of where they you know they find a place to sleep and at first jamie's joking he wants to sleep in one of the sarcophaguses oh. Um, sarcophagi yeah um, but they they end up finding this like really beautiful canopied you know Queen Anne four post massive bed that they they sleep in um, and that I re that, that I can remember familiar. as something like you know every time of course you go to a, an art museum and you always want like to sleep in the really beautiful fancy old furniture right like you always want to sit on the chairs and sleep <laughs> in the beds and I just remember like that was one of my favorite parts as a kid was like they actually got to sleep in those very fancy beds <laughs> all right so then um that leads us sort of to the mystery or like what is really I guess the the main plot or like the driving force of this novel although much like you I remembered sort of the details of living in the museum um, much more clearly than I remembered this piece. Well, that's kind of the coolest part of the book, Oh, though, for right? sure. <laughs> that's what you want to do. For sure. Um, but but it's true that um, on one of their first days in the museum, they, um, they're sort of wandering the halls. So Claudia makes up this rule that they have to learn um, at least one new thing each day that they're at the museum. <laughs> that's cute. That they're, like, not wasting their time there. And so... On, on one of the early days, they are sort of walking through this exhibit, and they see there's this big line, and they get in the line, and eventually they file past this um, relatively small marble sculpture of an angel. Um, and they try, try to sort of figure out what all the fuss is about it, and they end up 
reading um, a newspaper article that it turns out the museum just acquired this piece. And it's sort of a big deal because they only paid $255 for it or something like that at auction. Um, and sort of like the drama or intrigue of this piece is that they, the museum doesn't know and can't verify whether or not um, it was done by Michelangelo, right? Like it's, ah. it's this like Italian Renaissance marble of an anonymous craftsman artist. And so they, um, Claudia especially gets really, really interested in this and, and the kids sort of like take it upon themselves to solve the mystery of Angel. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's really cute. <laughs> it is. It's sweet. Um, and that's eventually what okay. leads them. So. so they're trying to prove that it was Michelangelo who... Yeah, so they, I mean, first they, like, go to the New York Public Library and they read everything they can about Michelangelo and they try to really do their research. Um, but but sort of what's, um, what they get really excited about is one night they're, after the museum has closed, they're going to bed and they notice that Angel has been moved, like, from sort of its temporary opening, like, exhibit location to like a more permanent place in one of the galleries um and so they're looking at the pedestal that um that angel had been sitting on during the day and there's sort of like a tablecloth like a fabric cloth over the pedestal um and they notice there's an imprint in the fabric from like the bottom of the sculpture that's got an m on it and it's like michelangelo's masonry mark or whatever that they had had seen in a book earlier um and so they think this is like this is it this is the key to the mystery right (laughs) and so they want they want to notify the museum and they want to um they want to help solve the mystery but they they they're still runaway kids right like they they have to remain anonymous and so they take out a p.o box at Grand Central Station. I guess there's That's a post office there. Um, and they they send a, a letter to the museum saying, hey, you should look at the bottom of this sculpture. We think there might be something there to help solve this mystery. Um, and they... I want to just read you a piece of the letter that they get back from the museum that I find pretty amusing. Dear friends of the museum, we sincerely thank you for your interest in trying to help us solve the mystery of the statue. We have long known of the clue you mention. In fact, that clue remains our strongest one in attributing this work to the master Michelangelo. Other evidence, however, is necessary, for it is known that Michelangelo did not carve all of the marble blocks which were quarried for him and which bore his mark. We cannot ignore the possibility that this work may have been done by someone else or that someone counterfeited the mark into the stone much later. And so they're they're crushed, right? Like, Claudia especially is devastated. um, Because not only was their clue not... Did their clue not solve the mystery, but it actually wasn't even, like, a new clue, right? Like, it was already... a known entity. Um, and so they're standing in Grand Central Station and they sort of 
settle on this, like, Hail Mary last-ditch effort to, like, continue the adventure and to keep working on solving this mystery. Um, instead of going home, they use their last few coins, their last money, um, to buy a, a train ticket to go visit Mrs. Basil E. Frankweiler, who the newspaper article had said the museum bought bought Angel from this woman. Oh, and it says okay. that she lived in, you know, Fairfield, Connecticut or whatever. And so instead of going home, they used their last cash to go visit her, hoping that she might have the answer or, or the clue that they're looking for about this uh, statue. But so they're in Grand Central Station and um, Claudia is feeling really defeated. And I just want to read this conversation um, that she has with Jamie. So Jamie says, what more of a discovery do you think that you, Claudia Kincaid, girl runaway can make? A tape recording of Michelangelo saying, I did it? Well, I'll clue you in. They didn't have tape recorders 470 years ago. <laughs> I know that, but if we make a real discovery, I'll know how to go back to Greenwich. You take the New Haven, silly, same way as we got here. Jamie was losing patience. That's not what I mean. I want to know how to go back to Greenwich different. Jamie shook his head. If you want to go back different, you can take a subway to 125th Street and then take the train. I didn't say differently, I said different. I want to go back different. I, Claudia Kincaid, want to be different when I go back. Oh. <laughs> She's looking for like that kind of life-changing experience. Exactly. And so that, I think, really speaks again to um, sort of her motivation for running away, but also I think in part like why I loved this book and related to it so much is like, it's not about, like, she's angry with her parents and she runs away from home, but, like, this is really, you know, a girl who who seeks adventure and who who is curious about the world and wants, wants to be special and wants to learn things and, and wants to sort of change herself in, in that process. Um, and, and she thinks that sort of, by, by being adjacent to special things, by being involved in interesting stories and, you know, art, mystery, intrigue, that that will make her different or special. Um, That's really sweet. Did, do you feel like she gets that? Well, so, so I guess this is where <laughs> Mrs. Basil E. Frankweiler comes in. Um, because... So they get to her home, her estate, and they, um, she sort of instantly takes a liking to these kids, right? And she has actually read a newspaper, a like local Connecticut newspaper article about these missing children and puts together that these are like runaway kids. Oh. And so, so there's sort of this trade-off, right? Like they want to know something about Angel and she's really curious about where they've been and how, you know, how these kids who have been missing for a week just like stroll up to Talked her up. Connecticut <laughs> estate and they're clearly fine and they're like <laughs> asking questions about fine art and so and so there's sort of this trade-off going or this game where they like each have a secret that the other one wants and so instead of immediately reporting the kids to the police and having them taken home, um, Miss Frankweiler actually lets them stay for dinner and they sort of like sort out 
their secrets and her secrets and she she sort of messes with the kids she like makes it into a game and makes it kind of difficult for them to learn about um angel but eventually they they do get what they came for and she has them sort of tell the whole story of their week at the museum and that's that's where the part where like she's the narrator comes in because the idea is like they told her the whole story and then she wrote it down and that's like how the book is narrated oh that's neat yeah which i i didn't remember but um no i I didn't either it adds a lot to the story and i think there's there's sort of this special part about that where um, Jamie, I think, in some ways is a little bit more maybe practical or, like, uh, he, he really wants the facts, right? Like, he sees her evidence of, like, what she thinks she knows about the sculpture, and he's not convinced, and he wants to know, like, why she sort of likes to play these games and, like, the mystery and the intrigue of it. Um, and, and she sort of tells him that, you know, she... She wants to have the secret more than she wants the answers. Um, and and she sees that that sort of uh, resonates with Claudia. And so Mrs. Basilie Frankweiler says, Returning with a secret is what she really wants. Angel had a secret, and that made her exciting, important. Claudia doesn't want adventure. She likes baths and feeling comfortable too much for that kind of thing. Secrets are the kind of adventure she needs. Secrets are safe, and they do much to make you different on the inside where it counts. And so, right, this is sort of where I think Mrs. Basilie Frankweiler really connects with the kids, especially Claudia, and where um, they they can sort of help each other out, right? Like, she, she just wants a good story. She wants to know, you know, how these kids have managed to live in the Met for a week, yeah. um, and they... Claudia, like, wants the secrets and the specialness of of Angel, and if she can take that home, then she can, you know, go home different, as she articulated that she wanted. Um, And so they're able to sort of, like, help each other out, and that's kind of how the book ends. So what year did this book come out? Um, And what does that... How does that put it into context? Yeah, so this this book was actually written in 1972, which kind of oh. surprised me. Um, I, I think when I read it in, like, the early 2000s, it was because they they did sort of a big 35, 35th anniversary re-release. Like, the edition mm-hmm. that I have is the 35th anniversary edition that has, like, a spe- an extra special afterward from the author um so I think it sort of came back into popularity or was like revisited um when I was young um but yeah it was actually written in the 70s yeah that's funny and I didn't read it as a child I read it when you read it um yeah no and I think I mean maybe that's part of sort of the appeal of this book and it's certainly part of its like longevity is that um you know, because it's about these institutions that are sort of these like weird, frozen, time capsule architectures, um, that it's sort of timeless, right? Like the Met is not all that different in 2020 as it was when I read this book in like 2000, as it was in the 70s when this book was written. And so I think that really is like what keeps this book alive is like the, the way it, it describes these environments and sort of like the architectures of the museum and the city that 
that are are the same, you know, and it's not right. just the museum. They also, you know, they go to the New York Public Library and the and Grand Central, Grand Central Station. Station. It's all the places you would go if you visited New York now. Exactly. Um, really, the only thing that I feel like sort of dates the book is that they, at one point at the end, they they take a taxi, which oh. I I think <laughs> is much unlikely that they would do today. Yeah. So it was before Uber and before higher quality security systems in museums, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> oh, for sure. Well, and, and they don't have cell phones. So I guess, oh, yeah. you know, this book is clearly pre-iPhone, but whether that's <laughs> the 90s or the 70s is, like, unclear. Right. Are there parts of the book that surprised you when you reread it or that you didn't remember or had yeah. forgotten about? Yeah, so I had sort of remembered vaguely the, that theme of uh, Claudia wanting to learn at least one new thing every day, um, but I want to read you one passage kind of from the end of the book that I had forgotten about that I really love now, um, but that was kind of surprising. Um, so they're talking about the statue and about sort of like being curious, right? Again, it's this thing that like Jamie doesn't understand why she doesn't want to like know for sure everything there is to know about this mystery. Um, and so the book says, Claudia said, but Mrs. Frankweiler, you should want to learn one new thing every day. We did, even at the museum. No, I answered. I don't agree with that. I think you should learn, of course, and some days you must learn a great deal. But you should also have days when you allow what is already in you to swell up inside of you until it touches everything, and you can feel it inside you. If you never take time out to let that happen, then you just accumulate facts, and they begin to rattle around inside of you. You can make noise with them, but never really feel anything with them. It's hollow. I love that. Yeah. So, I, I mean, that really sort of struck me, not only because it sort of, like, turns this, like, theme of the book on its head, and it, you know, sort of challenges know-it-all Claudia, but... Um, it also just, like, really resonated with me in, like, um, as sort of, like, a, an ethos or, like, you know, a way to live life. Like, it's great to, like, learn things, but if you don't sort of take time to, like, make meaning out of that and draw connections between those things, like, what's the point, you know? Right. No, absolutely. I think that's such an important thing when we talk about education or, you know, the attainment of knowledge. It's not just about knowing a lot of facts. It's about being able to integrate that knowledge and, and make meaning and make sense of it within context. And I love that. For sure. So do you have a favorite part of the book or a favorite character? Yeah, I mean, I think in some ways I already talked about my favorite part is really just like the descriptions of life in the museum. I think that um, certainly felt fantastic and sort of like stoked my imagination as a kid. Um, but I think my favorite character, well, so growing up for sure, it was Claudia. Now I feel like it's sort of split. I like see the wisdom of Mrs. Frank Weiler a little bit more now. Um, but, but Claudia, I definitely relate to, um, the most in this story. And I, I think both in the way that like she had this amazing sort of fantastic plan and idea for an adventure and that she was so independent that she like you know, could execute that, but also in the ways that it was very, like, practical and felt like, <laughs> oh, you know, Claudia Kincaid can do it, and she's not that much older than me, so, like, you know, I could probably, like, go into the city on my own and problem solve <laughs> and, 
manage. And like, of course I couldn't. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I certainly would not have fared as well um, alone in Manhattan. And and she fe- it, it she made it feel like if she could do it, like, so could I, right? Like she, I think in a way that maybe she's, she's much more like this than I am, but, but she like really made a plan and followed through on it. Uh, which I loved. It's funny to me that you think she's more like that than you are. I mean, I get that she pulled off this, like, living in the Met for a week, which is big, but that's so who you were as a child, and I think that's something that always really struck me about you was that even from a very, very young age, if you set your mind to something, if you decided you wanted to do something or you wanted to something, make something happen, you made it happen. Like you got things done. And, you know, I think that's carried with you your, your whole life. So you have a little more Claudia in you than you think. (laughs) That's very nice of you. Um, you know, I never ran away from home as a kid, but I did sort of, like, talk about it when I would get angry. Did you ever run away from home? No, I did. My siblings did, but I never <laughs> ran away from home. But um, you totally wanted to run away from home when you were little, and you had this whole very, very well-hatched, very thorough plan of running away from home and running away to the Target down the street because <laughs> it had everything you could have possibly needed to live. Well, and I mean, granted, like, that's a far less sophisticated plan <laughs> than Claudia. Like, I was not as, like, you know, cosmopolitan as as the Kincaid. For sure, not um, in Denver, Colorado. But I, I do think in some ways, like, on the practical side, it, it had the same appeal as the Met. Like, there was comfy furniture, there were clean clothes, there was food. Like, I was going to fare yeah. pretty well. No, you in, had a whole plan. Like, we would go, and then you would, when you'd get mad at home, you would explain, like, exactly what you were going to do when you lived at Target, because you didn't want to live at home anymore. Yeah. So, you know. <laughs> okay, so are we ready for the final question? I think so. Okay, so how did this book raise you? So I actually want to read um, a, another quote from sort of the wisdom of Mrs. Basil E. Frankweiler to explain how this book raised me. Because um, there's there's a part at the end when, um, again, it's this theme of, like, secrets, and they, they sort of each have the secret, and they're being kind of coy about, like, not exchanging them too, too fast because they know that that's sort of a kind of currency uh, in their dynamic. And so Mrs. Basil E. Frankweiler asks, Is that why you're not telling me where you stayed? That's part of the reason, Claudia said. The other part is, I think the other part is, that if I tell, then I know for sure that my adventure is over, and I don't want it to be over until I'm sure that I've had enough. The adventure is over. Everything gets over. And nothing is ever enough, except the part you carry with you. It's the same as going on vacation. Some people spend all their time on a vacation taking pictures so that when they get home, they can show their friends evidence that they had a good time. They don't pause to let the vacation enter inside of them and take that home. And so, you know, and maybe this is somewhere where there's like a little bit of tension in our relationships. (laughs) um, Because I do, I think you like to document (laughs) every time we're like in any family gathering or in a special place. 
Um, and I think there's a place for that. I'm not like anti picture, but I right. I think I think just sort of the idea of like the adventure as like what made you know Claudia different or special, and also um, that that is like only special because of how she remembers it and how she takes that with her, and that like you know if you spend all your time all vacation taking pictures like you're not actually gonna appreciate like the traveling that you're doing um and I think yeah I think especially when back when we were allowed to travel um I think that that was sort of um a way although I didn't necessarily explicitly remember that piece of this book I do think that's sort of like seeped seeped in over the years absolutely how about you so I mean, the book didn't raise me from childhood because I didn't read it as a child. But when I read it as your mom and started to see kind of the world of art and art museums through your eyes, it really shifted that for me. I, you know, I remember going to art museums as a kid with my dad. He was super into the Denver Art Museum. We used to go there a lot. And I don't think I had as great an appreciation for that as a child as you did. And so whether it was reading books about art and art museums and art mysteries, or, you know, as you got older and you were living in Boston, going to the MFA with you or, um, you know, learning about artists and their work in different kinds of art and abstract expressionism and um really you I think in parts because of your passion about this book and what it meant to you really created an art lover in me where it not wasn't necessarily there before (laughs) that's so sweet you know it's not it's not like a proud parent. It's kind of weird. It's like a proud kid moment. But I <laughs> I do think one of my favorite pictures of you of all time is um, of you standing in front of Realness by Mark Bradford, which I think is is one of our shared favorite pieces by one of our shared favorite Artist artists. <laughs> um, but just, you know, the image of you sort of like just in awe of this canvas that's like, you know, eight times larger than you um really just just fills me with so much joy <laughs> seeing it's funny you took a picture of that I, I know Miss <laughs> Frank, Frank Weiler would say that. don't take don't take picture, picture. <laughs> but uh I'm glad we have it me too and I'm glad we got to share that moment well thanks for joining us that was from the mixed up files of Mrs. Basilie Frankweiler on books that raised us next week we'll be talking about make way for ducklings by Robert McCloskey You can find the show anywhere you listen to podcasts and subscribe so that you don't miss an episode. Until then, we're on Twitter and Instagram as at Books Raised Us. Our theme music is by Cooper Kaminsky. Happy reading! reading.